Hi, I'm JJ McQuarrie. And I'm Kevin Kozer. And we host Talking Who to You, a podcast dedicated to the Big Finish audio adventures of Doctor Who. Each week, we look at a different Doctor Who story from Big Finish and share what we love and what we don't. We're looking at everything from the very first stories to David Tennant's most recent adventures, and we hope that you'll join us. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you find podcasts. So give us a listen. And remember, keep talking who. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the enormous task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt and today we have an extra special treat. We have an interview with the author of Power of the Daleks and that would be Mr. John Peel. Hello John. Hello there. Let's start with the basics. Uh, Where are you originally from? How did you come to America? And how did you come to start writing? Um, I was was born in Nottingham originally. um, And um, I was a a rather sickly child. I had anemia, which meant I couldn't go out and play very much or anything. Uh, They um, insisted on me resting constantly. So I used to read an awful lot because that was pretty much all I could do at that time. And um, what would happen? Yeah, what would happen would be that I'd get to the end of a, a series that I was enjoying, and there were no more stories. So I would start inventing my own, and that's pretty much how I got into writing. I, I mean, I started writing when I was about eight years old, I think. Uh, not seriously, but you know, just to to make up stories. And I decided by the time I was like eleven or twelve that that was really what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a writer. But I didn't actually have any kind of an idea how you go about doing that. So um, it, it was kind of interesting. Having decided I was going to write, I really had no clue as to how to go about it, um, which was interesting. Eventually, um, I managed to work it all out, of course, but I, I basically was just writing stories for my own pleasure, and then I would if there were competitions or something, I would enter them uh, and never get anywhere. But, I mean, I would keep going. And I, I think with, when you want to be a writer, there are, there are two real ways you go. You, you, you have to learn writing by writing. And it, you either get better, in which case you can become a writer, or you don't improve, in which case you'd be better, you know, you're better off going off and doing something entirely different. Right, exactly. Um, thankfully, I got better, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you certainly did more of the writing eventually, didn't you? <laughs> well, it, it, it's like anything else, I think. You know, you have to practice, you have to build up your skills, you have to decide exactly what your skills are. Because, I mean, um, I'm not the kind of writer, for example, that goes in for long, descriptive, flowery um, prose. That, to me, kind of gets in the way of the the actual story. I'm more interested in what is the story, who are the characters in the story, what are they going to be doing? Um, And, you know, I, I don't write the kind of flowery prose that a lot of people um, enjoy doing because I'm not trying to show off my skills or my knowledge of 
long involved complex words that nobody's ever heard of or anything. Um, I'm just interested in telling a good story. Right, exactly. Let's then uh, move on to the next question. Um, coming to America, you came here in 1981? 1981, yes. That was a, a very significant year for me. <laughs> that was the year I got married and moved to America. Um, but it was also at the same time the f- my first professional sale. Oh, okay. So ev- everything happened pretty much in the in the same year. It was one of those strange coincidence times. Okay, what was the first sale that you did? Um, it was a Doctor Who backup strip uh, for Doctor Who Weekly, as it was then. Ah, okay. I'd met the editor at a convention the previous November, and I, I had done what you tend to do, and that's cornered him and say, look, I've got these great ideas for stories. Um, can I send you some? And he said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and I sent him a bunch of ideas, and he actually liked, uh, I think, two of the first batch I sent him. And we we had started talking over my actually writing it, because I had never written a comic script. Um, so I really didn't know the technical details of how, how you actually went about doing this. Right. He sent me um, a couple of scripts just to illustrate how to do it, and I was reading it through. And I actually moved to America while we were in the middle of discussion. So um, I I started writing my first story once I was actually in America, but then sent it back to England, which um, (laughs) complicated matters tremendously, of course. I was going to say, it was way before the internet days, so everything had to be done by mail. (laughs) which added time to everything. I, I remember what that was like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of which, how, how did you end up meeting your wife then? Um, she was a Doctor Who fan also um, from America. The, the show had just been started uh, broadcasting over here a couple of years earlier, and um, she had decided she wanted to find some fans. So she had written to um, Doctor Who Appreciation Society and at that time, I was uh, in charge of their writer's department, and no, nobody quite knew what to do with her letter, so I ended up getting it and wrote back to her. Oh. Um, I wrote back to her. I, had, I ran a competition. This, this was around 78, I think, and Tom Baker had been in the show for quite some time at that point, and I had... I was one of the first people to come up with the idea of, well, what's the next Doctor going to be like um, once Tom decides he's had enough? So I ran a competition saying, you know, nominate your next Doctor, write the initial scene, and tell me who you've got in mind for the Doctor. Interesting. And uh, my wife actually uh, sent in an entry, which didn't win. (laughs) Um, But I was sufficiently intrigued to tell her, look, you know, this this is interesting. And we, we, we just simply started writing back and forth, and we became pen pals. So um, that's pretty much how I met my wife through Doctor Who. <laughs> so she didn't exactly hold it against you that you didn't uh, make her the winner of the competition then? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I always told her she got the, um, you know, the runner-up prize. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Honorable mention. <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> How did you become friends with uh, Terry Nation? Um, purely by accident. What happened was I had, I had moved to in, uh, to America, and over a few years I'd be I was editing a magazine called Fantasy Empire at the time, 
and we had done a lot of Doctor Who material, of course, for that, um, as it was dedicated to British TV, you know, British science fiction. So we'd covered a lot of Doctor Who and everything, and um, very various people had decided over here that if they were if they had Doctor Who questions to come to me. So one day I got a call from um, St. Martin's Press, an editor at St. Martin's Press, and he was thinking because Doctor Who was becoming more popular now that it was getting uh, better syndicated, um, that it might be a good time to do a Doctor Who book. And he'd had several ideas submitted to him from various people. And he asked me as, a, um, as an expert, which of these I thought might work as books. And he read the outlines to me over the phone. And honestly, they were dreadful. I mean, they were really bad. Uh, one of them was actually titled why Tom Baker is the best Doctor Who. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, so you, so you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought that doing a Doctor Who book would be a good idea, but that these would not work. So he said to me, well, do you have any idea what might work? And I had thought about it, and I said, well, you know, I remember back in the 60s, which was only 20 years ago at that point, um, Terry Nation had done something called the the, da the Dalek um, Handbook. And um, I thought, I said to him, well, you know, I think this could be updated, but produce a, a, a more interesting book for you. So the editor said to me, well, John, would you mind contacting Terry for me and asking if he'd be interested? Um, so I said, uh, OK, sure. <laughs> um, I had no idea how to contact Terry. Uh, but I had a friend who ran um, a Blake 7 um, fandom over here in America. So I got in contact with her and I said, you know, could you pass my name and address along to Terry and see if he'd be willing to talk to me about doing a book? And um, she got back to me very quickly and said, yes, Terry would love to talk to you. Here's his phone number. Wow. So I called Terry up pretty much out of the blue and what I had said to um, St. Martin's and Terry being Terry said to me well you know John I'd love to do it but I really don't have the time I'm very busy he was working on MacGyver at the time right um, so he said I really don't have the time would you like to do it <laughs> which kind of floored me so I was like well yeah sure I would like to do that and I went back and got my copy and reread it. And then I thought, oh, yeah, no, this really can't be updated. It wouldn't work the same way that it had worked 20 years earlier. Mm -hmm. So I called Terry back and I said, well, how about we do an original book just around the Daleks? And Terry said, well, when you say we, how much work would I have to do? <laughs> and I told him that I'd be willing to do all the writing. And he said, oh, good. <laughs> um and what had happened was he had moved uh, to California a couple of years earlier, and he was a pack rat. I mean, he never threw anything away if he could, if he could avoid it, um, specifically about his stories, of course. And what he had done is he, he had boxed everything up in England in these huge tea boxes and you know shipped them across to California, and they'd ended up in his garage. And it, it, they, they basically contained all of his materials from his writing career up to that. So what would happen would be, I would call Terry up and say, okay, I need some material to work from. And he would go to his wife, Kate, and say to Kate, Kate, 
go in the garage, open one of the boxes, get some stuff that says Daleks, and ship it to John. <laughs> That's how everything worked. He had he hadn't got a clue what was in the boxes, except it was you know obviously his material, um, and it wasn't in any particular order. So I would get packages in the mail, which would have all kinds of weird sure. material in it. Because Kate would just go, oh, this is Dalek, ship it to John, you know. So I got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> really wild stuff um, and quite amazing material. So that was how we, we basically got to know one another. We hadn't actually met at the time. It was all done by phone and mail. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> That's pretty much how um, the official Doctor Who and the Daleks book came about. It was, it was quite funny. And at what point did you realize that you could become uh, Target's point man for Dalek novelizations? <laughs> well, that's another funny story, because, again, it was something I hadn't done. I mean, up until this point, pretty much all the Target books have been written by either uh, Terrence Dix, Malcolm Hulk, or the original writers. Um, or um, I think Ian Martyr no, had written some by that point, too. And I think Nigel Robinson had written one or two. Um, but it never occurred to me that I could do one. Mm -hmm. So what happened was Terry again. Um, Terry Terry was the most generous, easygoing person. I mean, he really was. He was very, very easy to get along with, very generous, very kind. Uh -huh. um, and the, they, they had managed to annoy him. Target Books had managed to annoy him uh, by producing what he thought was substandard Dalek, Dalek books, you know, just to exploit the name Daleks. So he'd withdrawn his permission for them to do any of the novels. Oh, dear. So about once every six months or a year, mm -hmm. Target would contact him again and say, please, Terry, can we do a Dalek book? And while we were working on the official Doctor Who and the Daleks book, uh, Terry and I had been doing a lot of back and forth thing. And um, they contacted him again it was at that time and said, you know, please, Terry, can we do a, another Dalek book? And Terry paused a minute and then said, yes, you can, on one condition. And that's that John Peel write it. Oh, my. And they, they sort of, well, they thought about it for about half a second. They knew any book with Dalek in the title was going to sell probably twice as many copies as any other book they produced. Right. So it really didn't take them very long. They said anybody could do it, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, sure, John Peel can do it. So um, the first I knew about it was that I got a phone call from Terry one morning and um, he says, John, would you like to write a Dalek novel? And I said, would I? Yeah, sure, why? And he said, oh good, I've just told them you would. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally how it came about. Um, I, I had no clue until Terry called me up and told me he'd, he'd already arranged it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it was quite, but as I say, Terry was really an amazingly wonderful, generous guy. As an offset, because he would, he would say yes to everything. Um, but as an offset to this, he had an agent named Roger Hancock. And if you talk to anybody in BBC production, they will curse Roger Hancock out because Roger was very difficult. Not that he was a difficult person. What it was was that Terry was so easygoing and generous, he, he would always say yes to everything. And Roger had to protect Terry's interests. So Roger would be the bad guy. Terry would say, yes, sure. And then Roger would say, but. Oh, which is good cop, bad cop. And that was Roger's job. Um, mm. 
we we didn't get along too well at first because of that. Oh dear! Because Roger thought that I was a fan um, trying to rip Terry off. I mean that that was understandable. And what had happened was that um, when we we came to negotiating the contracts for the books, uh, I was talking with through Roger, of course, at this point. And Roger said, "Well, you know, Terry thinks the book should be um, seventy-five twenty-five. Mm-hmm. You know, seventy-five percent to me, twenty-five to Terry." And I said, no. Really? And Roger said, what? <laughs> and I said, no. Terry created the Daleks. These are his scripts. It should be 50-50. And Roger was absolutely stunned. I mean, he never expected that. He thought that I would go, yeah, 75, brilliant. And I said, no, that's not fair, because Terry's done all the main work. I'm just taking his thing and turning it into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, Roger and I got along wonderfully. Because he he realized I wasn't just trying to rip Terry off. And literally every other time, every other book after that, with the Daleks in it, we did 50-50. No matter how much or how little Terry did, it was always a 50-50 split. Um, and Roger really appreciated that. Uh, none of the other writers who've done Dalek stories appreciated it, because they all wanted the 75-25. <laughs> um, so I, I apparently ruined it for everybody. <laughs> Well, I, I can't see Eric Sayward taking a deal like that, to be honest. But <laughs> Well, he didn't, no. <laughs> and, uh, and neither did Ben Aronovich. <laughs> right. But I felt that it was only fair. Um, I, I, I'm a very firm believer that if people have done the work, they should get the credit and the, you know, and the reward. Absolutely. Um, speaking of those first two, well, first three books, actually... Uh, the Chase and the two Dalek Master Plan books came out very close to one another. Um, whose decision was that, and what was the rationale behind it? Well, what happened was, originally, when Target had asked Terry, can we do another Dalek story, uh, and Terry had agreed as long as I did it, they thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, you know, can we do two, you know, the last, the remaining two Hartnells? And Terry said, yeah, sure, no problem. And then they talked to me, and uh, what we originally planned was to, for me to do the chase mm-hmm. and then providing everything was okay and they, they were happy. Because at that point, I had never had a piece of fiction printed. Really? Except for those backup strips from uh, Marvel Comics. Everything else I'd written had all been factual material. So nobody knew whether I could... That's amazing. Yes. So nobody actually knew whether I could deliver on a, scri- on, on a novel, including Terry. So um, I had actually written a novel, an original novel by this point, which I was shopping around, but it hadn't been published. So nobody actually knew whether I could do it or not. Um, As a result of which, Target Books wanted to see whether I could deliver. I mean, from the point of view of a publisher, you have to understand one of the main requirements is reliability. Um, they have to plan ahead. So they have to know that they can get a book, say, in June hmm. in their hands so that they can have it out ready for whatever their um, their print date is. Right. So they had to be sure that I could not only deliver a readable book, but I had to deliver it on time. Um, in fact, I delivered it rather early <laughs> because I was so excited doing the story. I just couldn't stop writing it. Um, and once they'd seen the finished manuscript, 
they contacted me immediately and said, okay, good, can we go ahead with Dalek Master Plan now? Um, what had also happened when I had agreed to do the chase was, I, I said point blank, look, I'm not doing a large print 128-page book because that doesn't do justice to the story. And they said, no, 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 you do it whatever length you want. Um, um, we'll, we'll agree, because, I mean, it was a Dalek book. They didn't care. So when it came to Dalek Master Plan, and they said, can we do Dalek Master Plan next? I said, well, okay, but it's 13 episodes. Again, this cannot be a small book. It's got to be either one large volume or two smaller ones. Um, you know, I mean, a large volume would have been like 256 pages, and or two smaller ones. Um, which is what we ended up doing. Um, and they said, okay, uh, which would you prefer? You could do it either way. And I said, well, how about we do two smaller ones? And they said, fine, we'll, we can then release them a month apart. So that was how we went with it. Um, I called Terry up to tell him this. And Terry said to me, John, let me just ask you, why did you go for two books and not one big book? And I said, because that way we get two advances. Uh-huh. Harry just cracked up. I mean, he, he just laughed like crazy. And he said, John, you are finally becoming a writer. <laughs> that, that one really cracked him up, but he loved it. Um, in fact, I, at one point I had actually asked him what he, what he liked best about writing. And he, and he always said, reprints, all the money and more of the work. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that that was that was um, Terry Terry's sort of way of lo approaching things. Um, so he really appreciated the doing plan that way. That was that was quite fun. I, I had actually written master plan before the chase even came out. <laughs> oh, okay. So you were doing it on spec? Well, no, not on spec. They, they had contracted it, but because of the lead time, I'd written. Oh, right. Yeah, I'd written The Chase, and they had it, and it was in production, but it would be a couple of months before it came out. So I actually sat down and almost immediately and wrote the two master plans. So they were like back-to-back -back three books in a row. Got it. Okay. That certainly makes sense, because there are references in Terranium in that first book that become much clearer within just a few weeks. Right, exactly. Um, I, I, was, I was attempting to tie them up. In fact, what had happened with the um, the official Doctor Who and the Daleks book was that I had I told Terry, okay, I'm going to write a a, a um, definitive history of the Daleks. At which point Terry again laughed and said, "Good luck with that one," <laughs> um, because of course he had written it without thinking how it was going to all fit together. He'd never thought of it right. doing that. But when once I was doing the the novels, I could run one into another and do a little preview, if you like, of what was coming in the next book. Mm -hmm. Got it. Well, speaking of writing The Chase, when we were reading The Chase for the podcast some time ago, I noticed that a lot of the humor in the original story often seemed to be, um, that used to slow or weaken the script a bit, was either toned down or missing entirely. Um, the Mary Celeste sequence, for instance, is almost slapstick on screen, whereas your version is uh, much more tragic. So I was wondering, how did you feel about the humor in the original story, and what was your rationale for toning it down? What happened was that there are some, I mean, much as I love the Chase TV story, there are some bits which I find kind of embarrassing. Uh, for example, in the first episode where um, Ian 
and Vicky are discussing finding a ring in the sand and she tells this really silly story yes. about her, her childhood. Oh, God. And <laughs> I, I, I thought, ouch, you know, that's not the kind of thing I would write. I mean, I love humour, but I like my humour to be a little bit more, um, you know, adult, perhaps. So I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to tell Terry that I really don't want to write that scene in? And what happened was Terry sent me his scripts for the uh, story and they weren't the camera copies. They were his original scripts. And literally every scene I had a problem with on screen was not in his script. Really? That had all been added later by Dennis Spooner. Oh. Because um, Terry's original scripts would have cost a fortune to make. I mean, huge amount of stuff. He would describe like this um, um, immense glass dome over a city and Ian and uh, Vicky clear it off and they see down into the depths of the earth. Right. I mean, I, I, you can just imagine the, the producer going, bloody hell, we can't afford that. <laughs> you know, right, right in a trapdoor in the sand instead, you know. Exactly. Uh, and that, that was what happened. Um, so what I, when I was reading through these, I'm going, wow, this is so much better than the filmed version. So I, I elected to go with the, um, with Terry's original dress as much as possible, um, because the chase was already available on video anyway, so people could see the original if they wanted it. And I thought it would be more interesting for the fans to read Terry's original ideas that were considered too expensive, um, especially since I loved them. I mean, I just absolutely adored his his original script. Uh, the Marie Celeste, on the other hand, I, I went back to the original ship's records that were done at the time the ship was found. There was an admiralty hearing and everything. And I went back and I read through the notes and I realized that the, although it was funny on screen, it really didn't match what had historically happened. Exactly. So that was my choice to specifically go back to the original event and to, to write what had happened as opposed to making a joke out of mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, something that we found particularly impressive. My co-panelists had not seen the original, and I had to describe to them how slapstick it was on screen, and they were both impressed by how the gravitas of the situation on the page comparatively. Well, also, um, I mean, people were dying in that scene, so I didn't think it was appropriate to you know, make it too funny. A bit of humor, sure. But it, it had to be more tragic than, than funny when you're involving deaths in it, I think. Agreed. Agreed. There, are, I do have a couple of uh, specific questions and one little quibble about that book. Sure. Um, in fact, it, it's something that's repeated in power, which we're currently reading. And I just looked back and it's in my notes for um, uh, Mutation of Time as well. The Doctor states in both books that he's 750 years old even though in Tomb of the Cybermen he says he's 450? Was that an error? Um, originally, Hartnell always said that he was 750. Um, it gets what you wave it around a bit, but I, I figured I'd go with the 750 figure um, because we had, you know, we had to say something. Right. So um, I, I, I went with the 750, even though it changes. Uh, originally, you see, I, I believe the original intent 
in power was that the doctor didn't regenerate as we understand regeneration now, but the idea was going to be that he was rolling back his personal time to when he was about 450. Got it. Okay. That was one of the original concepts. Of that. I see. Um, so that effectively, Houghton was supposed to be um, an earlier, a, a younger Hartnell. Which is hard to grasp, but it, it works. <laughs> Well, they 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 hadn't they hadn't really thought it out the way we have since, of course. Right. Okay. Uh, another question: Why move the House of Horror scene to Battersea Funfair? I was just curious about that. Oh, that was in the original script. Oh, was it really? Okay. Yeah, that would that Terry had originally written that in um, Battersea Funfair. Uh, one of the things I'd done with Terry, uh, Terry was not the kind of person to get terribly upset with you. Um, he knew, for example, that I had criticized some of his stories, and it didn't bother him. What he would do instead was he would explain, well, John, this is why I did that. Um, for example, when we were doing the chase, I had said, well, Iridius is kind of a, an obvious planet name, isn't it? And he said, well, you know, John, you have to remember, Doctor Who isn't written for you and me. It's written for you and me and the granddads and the grandchildren. He said, just think, if there's a boy or a girl who've been in school and they've just learned the word arid, and then they see Doctor Who using aridius, and they would go, I know what that means. Right. And he said, you have to always remember, we were trying to write in things for everybody. And the educational mandate. And that was what he also did with the um, the monster sequence. He, he wrote Battersea Funfair because that was what he knew. And he knew kids at the time would say, oh, yeah, I've been to Battersea Funfair. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So that was why he'd written that in. Dennis Spooner had actually taken that bit out, but I put it back in again, <laughs> which is what happens sometimes. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, one of our panelists wanted me to ask you if you had something against Morton Dill, particularly, or <laughs> if... <laughs> <laughs> he comes to a very bad end in your version. Well, yeah. Well, okay. Um, I, I have to confess. As I said, I don't usually write a lot of humor into things, but every now and again, my sense of humor gets the better of me. Uh, the Morton Dill... <laughs> uh, what, what I do occasionally is I will quote other things in my stories. And if anybody else has seen these things, hopefully they will go, oh, yeah, I know that, and laugh. Hopefully. Um, the Morton Dill bit was actually um, taken from uh, a Tom Lehrer record that I owned. Uh, Tom Lehrer is this American humorist, and he, he recorded one of his concerts, and he has this line about the Massachusetts uh, state home for the, for the bewildered. Oh, yes. In addition to writing, he indulged in a good deal of philosophizing. Like so many contemporary philosophers, he especially enjoyed giving helpful advice to people who were happier than he was. And one, uh, one particular bit of advice which I recall, which is the reason I bring up this whole dreary story, is something he said once before they took him away to the Massachusetts State Home for the Bewildered. <laughs> he said, life is like a sewer. What you get out of it depends on what you put into it. 
And I was putting that was one of my little in jokes. So anybody who knows Tom Lehrer, ah yes, that's where that's from. Um, I, I do it all the time. I'm I'm very I'm very bad like that. I will put little quotes in. Um, I've in fact the book I've just finished writing, which is one of the Doctor Omega novels I'm doing. Um, I actually have somebody claiming to be an alien, uh, somebody who is supposed to be an alien claiming to be from France. Now, if you've actually seen Saturday Night Live, they used to do a sketch series about um, aliens called the Coneheads. <laughs> yes, they did. I would always claim they were from <laughs> France, you see. So I put this little joke in. Um, it, it'll probably go over the head of almost everybody who reads it, but there'll be one or two who'll go, wait a minute, I know what that is. So I do this all the time, and that's, that's what the, um, that one was for, I'm afraid. Got it. Just it, a little it, joke. It seemed like the poor lad was a whipping boy in that one for some reason, but... <laughs> <laughs> when I told him the original story behind that character and how it led to Stephen being cast, they were a little more amenable to it, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. Speaking of characters, we loved the send-off that you gave Ian and Barbara as they've been our favorite characters since we started this project. Oh, yes. Um, it seemed pretty obvious to us, as we've been doing, that you were uh, kind of shipping them as a couple. Would you agree with that assessment? Oh, yes, very much so. I, I, I mean, after all they'd been through, they, they deserved one another, I thought. <laughs> Exactly. They certainly would be the only ones that they could uh, talk to about it. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. My next set of questions are about Dalek's master plan. We've already answered one of them. Um, I noticed that it's in those two books that we start getting quite a few references linking the book to future Doctor Who continuity, such as the mention of the Mavellan War in uh, Mission to the Unknown chapters. Um, Are there any bits... And this is a little complicated, but are there any bits of Dalek continuity since the new series has premiered that you think would be problematic to add in like that? Um, I really haven't thought about it, but no, I don't think it would be that problematic. It, it's one of the things... I, I actually did have... I was planning before I, before I stopped writing for the... Um, the Doctor Who books. Uh, I, I had suggested a story in which the Daleks invade Gallifrey, oh. and um, this was going to be like my big, huge battle scene kind of story. Um, I wanted to have it. They, the, the Daleks had found a way to get through the um, the barriers and attack Gallifrey, mm-hmm. and I was pitching. I was pitching that as a storyline, but they didn't quite think it would work so <laughs> that was actually one of my last pictures as a doctor who novel so i mean i i was getting to that idea of the daleks and you know having a time war effectively even though i'd never reached it so i don't think it would be that difficult to to bring it into continuity um, in that in that sense no uh, it must have been a bit frustrating when they did something almost exactly like that in the audios then it, it was I, I think the most frustrating thing that I did have was um, I pitched something called Nemesis of the Daleks, uh, which would have been a, an Eighth Doctor story, um, in which the Doctor meets the good Daleks from um, Evil. Mm-hmm. And the the editor actually turned that down by saying, well, Evil of the Daleks is one of the missing stories, 
and I really don't want to do a sequel to a missing story. Oh, Lord. So <laughs> that was the point where I thought, okay, um, I don't think we see eye to eye on Doctor Who anymore, you know. <laughs> because, I mean, I thought, what one of the things in, in the novels, in any of the novels, is you always get that sequence where, you know, the Daleks first meet the Doctor in the story, and it's always that you are the Doctor, you are the enemy of the Daleks, you will be annihilated, you know. And I, I, I wanted to keep trying to vary that. Because it gets dull when you do the same basic scene over and over and over again. So um, I thought it would have been kind of fun if we had that bit where the Daleks turn up and the Daleks go, you know, you are the Doctor, you are the friend of the Daleks. Ah, okay. Which would have sort of thrown people. Um, I, I, I like changing the, the game a bit like that. It, it, it's, it's more, it makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm, Exactly. And speaking of changes, uh, I've noticed that there were several changes that you made to Mission to the Unknown that really streamlined that story in ways that it <clears throat> seemed to desperately need. And I was wondering if some of those changes were, again, coming from Terry's original script or whether, you know, the script editors had added them. I kept waiting for the mice that were transferred to, transferred to Myra to make an appearance and they're gone, which is good. But the invisible inhabitants of the, that planet ironically get more of an appearance. Um, I was wondering what changes you uh, felt that you really needed to make there and which ones were just kind of a gift that came out of the original scripts. Most of them came out of the original scripts. Um, although these were a lot closer to the televised versions than the chase was. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I think part of them were written by Dennis Spooner, right. who... Terry Terry would write his scripts and just write the story. Uh, Dennis, on the other hand, would write the scripts thinking, how are they going to film this? Mm -hmm. So he would write things a little simpler. Terry would go crazy. Terry would just throw whatever ideas came to him into the story. Um, Dennis was a little more controlled. Not a lot more, but a little more. <laughs> so... There were a lot. There were lots of stuff in both in in their scripts that weren't in didn't end up on the screen for one reason or another. Uh, but I did also make a few changes myself. For example, um, in Mission to the Unknown, the whole story is built around recording the warning to the galaxy of the Daleks, mm -hmm. and then it completely vanishes mm -hmm. from Dalek Master Plan. It's not part of the Master Plan story. Uh, I think what happened simply was that Terry had forgotten about it, the, the, that particular plot. He, he'd just forgotten it. By getting caught up in the other story, in Master Plan, he completely forgot about that little subplot. So I actually wrote in a, uh, a scene at the end to round that out. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I did little things like that. I, I was mostly just tidying up the script. Um, because they, they had been written fairly feverishly, and things did get left out. So, so I, ha I had done some tidying. That was pretty much all I did, though. Well, that uh, that actually brings me to a quibble I had about <clears throat> the second book, and I'm wondering if I'm misremembering or whether, since we had such a fast turnaround on the podcast, I was just reading it too quickly. But it seemed like at the very end of the book, when Mark Corey's tape is played again this time in Carlton's office, it suddenly mentions Chen and Carlton when it didn't before. And I was wondering if 
I'm misremembering or whether that was there or it was an edition of yours. That was one of my editions because um, Carlton just vanishes from the script. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Literally. I mean, he just disappears for no apparent reason. Um, so that was me thinking, okay, where's he gone? What's he doing? Okay, bring back the Mark Corey tape, which has also been missing from the script, um, and just tidy it up. That was that was really what I was doing there. Um, the the other main thing that that I did that was quite deliberate was when I split the story into the two books, I added in a period of several months between the stories because it, it, uh, on the TV there's no sense of real timing or anything. Right, it, it, of it, it doesn't just flow through because it it's split anyway by the um, the Feast of Stephen episode. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was to leave room. I, 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 at this point, I could see that we were going to have to be doing original Doctor Who novels sooner or later because we were running out of TV stories to adapt. So I deliberately wrote that gap of time into uh, the second book so that if anybody ever wanted to use Sarah Kingdom as a Doctor Who companion in an original novel... They could say, look, it says specifically here, she's got like four months or six months or whatever in the TARDIS that we don't know about. So there's a room there for stories. And that was something I, I consciously did. I was, of course, hoping I would be writing the stories, but, you know, just in case somebody else wanted it, it will be there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's still time for that, obviously, but I'm, I'm glad you... Well, yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you did that because it has justified... Gene Marsh participating in the Doctor Who universe a lot more, and uh, the audios with Sarah have been amazing. Well, there there had been a lot of debate at that point about whether Sarah Kingdom was actually a companion or not. Right. And I was putting that gap in there also saying, look, she's traveled with the Doctor for months. See, I just said so. (laughs) Therefore, she's a companion. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That was just me being stirring the pot a little, you know. And, well, speaking of stirring the pot, um, <laughs> we also had a discussion on the podcast about whether the Feast of Stephen should have been included, and we came to the conclusion that while it does veer off plot for the story, as it does in the original for obvious reasons, it was actually a very good way to ease into the second volume. Was there ever any thought that that should go, or was that always going to be in the book? Um, I... I... It, it, I had always wanted it to be in the book mm-hmm. because it was in the show. And, you know, my idea is you, we, we want as much as possible from the show in the stories. Exactly. Um, especially since it was a missing episode. What I also did was I went back to the original concept. What, had, what Terry had wanted and had actually suggested was to do a little crossover with um, Zed Cars. Mm-hmm which was a terribly popular show at the time. Yes. The Z-Cars producers nixed that idea by saying, no, we're not going to, to you know, have any of our guys show up on <laughs> Doctor Who. That's, that's too silly. You know, we're a serious show. We don't do that. <laughs> so um, what I did was I gave all of the policemen who were not named in the script the names of the actors playing the parts in Z-Cars. That's brilliant. <laughs> I, I noticed um, when I went back through the cast list for Z-Cars, I saw Brian Blessed yes. was in the list and thought, oh my goodness, yes, okay. 
I'm a little surprised at one reference in the mutation of time. Um, the first doctor has read Peter S. Beagle. Ah, yes. Uh, that's because uh, The Last Unicorn is one of my all-time favorite novels. And I just simply could not resist it. <laughs> okay. I figured that was the case, but uh, it was still interesting to see it because I yes. recognized the quote yes. and had not remembered seeing it when I first read it. Um, one fun little question before we move on to power. Uh, this is a question that we panelists had amongst ourselves, even though we didn't have time to address it in the podcast episode. Who would you say is the bigger Trump stand-in, Chen or Zaphon? <laughs> I, I, I think Chen would probably despise Trump because he he wasn't efficient. Right. <laughs> it would have to be Zaphon. <laughs> yeah, we thought so too. There was a lot more uh, bluster in that character. Yes. <laughs> okay, so moving on to power of the Daleks. Right. Um. Was there ever any question that you would write those last two under the uh, Virgin Banner, or did you need to ask the editors about it? No, no, no. They, the, um, the three Dalek books that I'd already done, as I say, probably simply because they had Dalek in the title, had sold so well right. that they came, you know, Target came back immediately um, as soon as they, they could and said, please, 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 can we do, do the next, you know, the last two? Um, and I, I was I was perfectly game with it, but there, there were several problems. Um, the first one being Terry hadn't written them, right? So he, he didn't have the scripts. Um, all of the, the the previous books, I'd just simply gotten the original scripts from Terry um, and and used those. But we we didn't he didn't have them for either of the last two, um, as they were written by da uh, David Whitaker. And David, of course, had passed away by that point. Right. So there was no contact right. with David. Uh, I, I, the thing that surprised me the most was the editor at the time of, of the Target books wrote to the BBC, because I had mentioned, you know, I can't get the scripts from Terry. So he said, no problem, we'll get them from the BBC. And he contacted the BBC, and the BBC wrote back saying, we don't have them. Oh, good Lord. And they're like, you know, Target's like, they have your own scripts and they said no no we don't have them they found them later of course but they mm. they insisted that they did not particularly stay you know they, they they didn't have them wherever you know they were at that time um so we we had tremendous difficulty finding the scripts and what had to happen in the end was david when he had written evil and power had been married at the time to the actress June Barry, mm. um, which I I remembered. I, I said, well, you know, on the off chance, can you contact June Barry? And they did. And bless her, she went up into her attic and discovered she had not all the scripts, but some of them. Um, thankfully, the early scripts, the, the episodes one, two, three, I think. Um, so she loaned the, those scripts to Target, who copied them, mailed them to me, and then they contacted Doctor Who Appreciation Society, uh, who managed to find the rest of the scripts for us. They they had found copies, so it, it it took a bit of you know scavenging around, but eventually, thanks to uh, June Barry and Dwas, uh, we actually got the scripts. That's interesting. Yeah, how did uh, where did Dwas end up finding them? 
Um, I don't remember where they found them. <laughs> but as I say, we we were fortunate that uh, that June Barry had some in the in her attic. Right. Uh, exactly. That that was amazing. Yes. Well, it's clear that both Power and Evil are very different books than their predecessors, not only in terms of length, but also in terms of complexity of the plot. Mm-hmm. Given how very complex Whitaker's plot for those original stories were, do you do you think it ever could have been novelized at the old standard length of 145 pages, or did they always need to be longer? Um, uh, well, I, I went in originally, when, when we agreed to do the uh, these two scripts, uh, I, I immediately said my usual thing of, I don't want to be limited to the 128 pages again. And they said, no, no, no. You, you've shown that it's working the way you're doing it. You go ahead, do whatever you like, uh, which is the wrong mm-hmm. thing to say to a... I mean, that is something you do not say to a writer. They're <laughs> <laughs> asking for trouble. Um, yes. I, I, I have to be perfectly honest here. Um, when I became a, a fan of Doctor Who back in the... Back in 63, in fact, when it first started... Um, my, I think the most amazing thing that happened to me was I found that original novel by David Whitaker, you know, Doctor Who in an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks. Yes. And I must have read that. I, I, I don't know how many times I've read that. Uh, it, it was just, for me, that was one of the best books ever written. Mm-hmm. And I just loved David Whitaker's writing style and everything. It was a huge influence on my own writing. So when I got the chance to novelize two of his scripts, I mean, I knew I had to do them justice. I couldn't just simply write them quickly. I I really wanted to get more into them because I I had always adored his book and I really wanted to, you know, I felt that I owed it to him to do a really better job than normal, if you like, with, Mm -hmm. with his scripts because they were just... They were just so wonderful. And there were lots of bits again in them that that didn't show up on the TV. Um, So I I wanted to put those back in, which was part of the fun. And it it, it was, I had also, in the meantime, I forget now, I'd I'd written several other novels by that point. So I was getting a better, you know, getting to be a better writer. And I was understanding what I was trying to do with my stories better. So it all came together to to make Power a much longer and more complex novel. I'm actually still making my way through Power, and it's been several years since I last reread it, but I'd forgotten everything that you'd added, including the linkages to the Tenth Planet, uh, the addition of IMC being behind it all. And also, I, and this is something that one of our panelists, Trey Corte, wanted to know about, the new character of Thane, because she didn't exist in the original, right? Right. Um, that was a character I added myself. Uh, it's not one of uh, David's characters that got hacked out or anything. What happens is, in the original script, there's mention of the Doctor and his companions having to go see the, the Doctor, um, the colony doctor to make sure they haven't got any diseases or whatever. Right. And it's just a throwaway line, I guess, in the script. I don't know. But it, I just suddenly thought, well, wait a minute. You know, 
uh, the doctor of a colony like this would be an important person. You know, they, there should be a doctor involved. Mm-hmm. They should be in the story because, you know, it makes no sense that they wouldn't be. Um, plus, on top of that, the only female, strong female character in the script is Janley. And she's, you know, the bitch from hell. Um <laughs> Uh, I had actually just before this had an argument with one of my other editors. I had written a novel, a young adult novel, in which the um, the mother of one of the characters is a very unsuitable mother. Mm-hmm. And my my editor said to me, look, I don't mind you having a bad mother but you have to have a really, really good mother to offset her because we don't, we don't want the you know, character, you know, the readers to, or the, the, um, the reviewers to say, oh, John Peel's anti-female, you know, uh, writing these horrible women. So I, I had a bit of that in mind also when I was writing um, Power of the Daleks. So I thought, well, I'll make the Doctor, the new character Doctor, a female who is the exact opposite of Jan. <laughs> so we actually have a good female character as well as a bad one. Um, so that that was my thinking there. You know, a little bit of she should be in it, and also we need an offset for Jan. Yes, yes, definitely. There is. Uh, they're definitely chalk and cheese. Yes. <laughs> was was there any, was there anything you wish you could have added to that story to that book that you didn't? No, actually, um, I, I I got to do pretty much everything I wanted with it, and I was very pleased with the end result. Okay, terrific. Um, as amazing as it is to say this, even though it is twenty eighteen, um, I was just rewatching the sh- the story the other day, the animated version, in preparation for reading your book. And I, I have yet to find anything in the book version that contradicts what we see on screen. I was just wondering if you've watched it, and if so, how you feel about seeing it again out for the first time in 30 years. <laughs> it, it was pretty wild, actually. Um, I had seen it when it was originally broadcast, and I did remember big chunks of it, which surprised me. Hmm. Well, it, it was just such an effectively clever story. And I, I mean, I, I just absolutely adored the way the Daleks did that, you know, we are your servants. <laughs> and and the way that the Doctor is so horribly frustrated. And, you know, Troughton brings this out. You know, he's, he's, he's sort of hopping mad mm-hmm. and everything. And you've got that through. Um, I, I, was, I was discussing this with, um, with Annika um, at one of the conventions. And she said, yes, that was exactly it. He, he was inhabiting the Doctor so much and channeling him and um he he was he was just acting so frustrated <laughs> and you even in the um animation even in the animation you can see him like that yes he, he's just oh listen to me listen to me and nobody will mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly yeah we actually when it was released uh, we actually went to the um the theater to see it on the big screen yeah, and um, that was an amazing experience. And I was flashing back to your book, as a matter of fact, as we were as we were watching it and thinking, this has really captured it. Well, now that now that so many of the older Virgin books are coming out in new editions, is there any chance that Power and Evil will get that same treatment, or would that be at all up? They to They haven't me? asked me. <laughs> um, if they ask me, 
if they asked me, I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd go along with Terry's opinion. Remember I told you his, his her thing, best thing about writing is reprints. reprints. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I would definitely agree if they asked me, but they've, they've not asked me about any of them. Uh, what I would really like would be um, if they did audio versions of the final two stories. Um, oh, yes. I mean... I, I would absolutely love to have Fraser Hines narrating Power of the Daleks, for example, oh, and yeah. Annika—sorry, uh, Annika doing Power and Fraser doing Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be brilliant. Now that uh, now that we know that Fraser can do such a good Troughton imitation, maybe it should be both of them on uh, Power <laughs> because yeah. we can do the voice so well. Yeah, yeah. Which is just astonishing. Right. Um, I have to. I have to say. The, the audio versions of my books, uh, I was just absolutely amazed and so, so pleased with. Um, I mean, Peter Purvis and... Um, my mind's blanking here again. Gene Marsh. Yes. They did a lovely, lovely job with, um, with the master plan. But I, I was really, really knocked out with, with the, um, the chase. Maureen O'Brien... Is just absolutely brilliant. Oh, isn't she? She, I mean, she she really puts her her heart into it and everything. Um, so I mean, I've I've been very lucky with the, both of those, and I would just absolutely love it if they got around doing the other two. But we'll wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, next time next time we talk, I'd I'd really like to talk to you again before we do Evil of the Daleks. And I also eventually want to ask you about the Virgin and the BBC books you did. And since we have just started doing a uh, Star Trek podcast, I definitely want to talk to you about your Star Trek work as well. Okay. Yeah, because we've... um, Absolutely. It'll be a while before we get to the next gen and the DS9 books that you did, but uh, that's something that we definitely want to have, uh, have on reserve at some point in the future. Okay. Yes, sounds good. Terrific. Our thanks again to Mr. John Peel for joining us for this interview. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we will finally get to the discussion of the long-promised Power of the Daleks. I promise you no Star Trek this time. In the meantime, if you liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. All one word with no spaces. You can also visit our nearly pristine subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. Also feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes and give us a thumbs up or comment on YouTube. That's at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash emperor dalek forward slash videos. Follow us on Twitter. We're at dwtargetbc. Or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If all else fails you, email us at dwtarget at gmail.com. And please, please, please support us at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc. Thank you very much for listening, and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Some more mice. No. <laughs> <laughs>